Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussaud. And I'm Ann Friedman. What is on the agenda today? I know you know. There is only one thing on the agenda. Ladies running for office. Oh my God. Why they should, why they don't do it, and really like why you should. It's like, just look at all the idiots in Congress. You can do this. And we get to talk to really awesome ladies in the CYG community who are running for office. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually going to be a two-parter. This episode is where we're going to talk about some of the issues surrounding running for office. If you've ever been electoral politics curious, candidate curious for yourself, we're going to answer some of those questions. And we have some amazing special guests to do that. And then in a few weeks, we're going to feature a few women who are running many of whom for the first time or who have recently run for the first time to talk to them about their experiences. I know. And I'm confident that all of those ladies could be president, like immediately right now. Oh, yeah. No question. Like Ariana Grande could be president <laughs> just from like her work in Manchester and then all the women in episode two of Run for Office, CYG. It's uh, amazing. Yeah, I can't. I can't even like handle. I'm just smiling at the thought of a woman who listens to CYG becoming president. I uh, can't wait. Same room. Again. Oh, my God. I know. Look at this podcast for short-distance besties. <laughs> Although everyone who has truly been in a long-distance love affair knows that you do put in the FaceTime. It's true. Illicit <laughs> rendezvous in hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice hotel room. It's true. But, you know, I'm excited about today's episode. Oh, my God. Me too. But first, wait. Pause button. Let's do some announcements. There's still time to get stuff in the CYG shop. Announcement two is... There's still tickets to the Philly show, July 16th at the Trocadero. You can find all the information for that at choirgirlfriend.com slash events. But exciting announcement. And tell the people. I think you're great at announcements. <laughs> no, because and... I forget. I'm not even high and I'm forgetting everything. <laughs> I'm like, um, this okay. is why we have to write them down. Okay, spoiler alert. We added another show because we're going to be on the East Coast anyway in Brooklyn on July 15th, so the night before the Philly show, you can catch us at the Hall at MP in Williamsburg doing another live show for the fine people of New York City. That's right. Bring your besties and looking forward to meeting everyone. It is a, I wouldn't say small venue, but it is modestly sized, so I would not sleep on your tickets. For Call Your Girlfriend, it's a small venue. Listen, we like big body, big venue. Like... (laughs) We really, like, we're big women who like a big venue. So long story short, I know we can fill this place. Okay. Announcement time is over. Announcement's out. Announcement's out. (laughs) One day I'll be a professional podcaster. I can't wait. So, okay, so we're not going to do the statistics of women being underrepresented at essentially every level of government. Yeah, do a Google for that. Do a Google. But yeah, women are underrepresented at every level. People of color are underrepresented at every level. And white men are overrepresented at every level of government. Perhaps that's the best way to put it. (laughs) So yeah, we're not going to get into the why, but I think that one thing that we're definitely interested in talking about is that for a long time, this gap has been framed as an issue of confidence for women. There was an article... 
in the New York Times, I believe shortly after the election, where Kirsten Gillibrand of New York said, women are the biggest self-doubters. And it is true that women take a longer time than men to decide to run, and that men are still more likely than women to be recruited as well. But is it really a confidence gap, though? Can we also pause button? Because here's the reason that also, like, I don't buy into this bullshit, is the simple truth that, like, women are less likely to be asked to run for office. Most people who are elected officials, like, somebody taps them and tells them about it. You know, there's definitely the, like, five sociopaths every year who are born who are like, I, like, I want to be president one day. And they, <laughs> they live their whole lives that way. We all went to college or, like, high school with one of those kids. You know what I'm talking about? Shout and, out like, to all the Tracy Flicks. Love you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, or the people who are like, mm, don't take this picture of me doing this keg stand because one day I want to be president. <laughs> um, you know, I wish somebody had said that to me. But oh, my I God. Think where that, are the know? hidden keg stand photos? <laughs> exactly. Girl, you don't even want to know. Uh, hook em horns. But anyway, you know, like, that's all. Also, like the simple truth of it is that there is an entire kind of machine around how you run for politics in any office. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that like women are less likely to be asked, whether it's because, you know, the myth is that they're self-doubters mm -hmm. or maybe it's because people hate women in power. Like, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but people are saying. <laughs> people have been saying. <laughs> people have been saying. <laughs> that is people don't even cannot even foresee a world where people of color can be leaders. Totally. So like I imagine that they're also not being asked yeah. to run for office. It, it reminds me, it's actually a parallel to lots of other industries and areas of the public sphere where even though women are still the majority of the population or even though there's been like totally demonstrated involvement in political issues by people who are like not white or like people who are like not hetero or people who whatever like we know that there is interest and ability and yet it's still seen as like somehow a risky bet to place a woman candidate on the ballot or like if you are in control of party money to give her your money yes what's the lesson here the lesson is don't wait for people to ask you for shit friend of the podcast Valerie Jared once said you can't be what you can't see and that's why it's important to have also just like different people being represented at every level of leadership right so so yeah so okay there's this dominant confidence narrative which I which I believe applies to some potential candidates but like definitely I don't see it as a universal answer to why this gap exists there is a money gap for sure in that like we all know about the wage gap and about especially the way race and gender intersect when you talk about how much money you have access to and how much you're earning. So money is an issue. I also think that there's a thing going on with women in particular knowing what is going to happen to them once they become a public figure. Mm, oh, I mean, I think that that's probably the thing that is the most or the least talked about, right? And especially for women who are kind of our age, who grew up with the internet knowing all of the ways that you can deal with privacy issues and online. That's one thing that a, a bunch of women that I talked to that it came up for a lot for, where somebody would say, like, I have a stalker. I don't think I could be president totally. one day, you know, or I'm not comfortable with people scrutinizing me in the ways that they will because I'm a woman. Or, you know, like me, I have that keg stand photo somewhere and <laughs> it will definitely... That's the first... Once that hits the message board. That's the first opposition yeah. research that, you know, like, mm -hmm. I know people are going to hit me with, but... I am proud. I am proud of my past. So it's cool. There is a, definitely a particular challenge that the internet like fuels for especially like millennial women mm -hmm. and younger women who are looking to run because you have a digital trail that people before just didn't have. I also want to hit you. So when I was like looking for 
research that supports theories other than the confidence gap about why women don't run. I found this study out of Rutgers University that says that especially when it comes to women of color, it's definitely not an ambition gap. The data, quote, suggests that women of color lack faith in politics' ability to solve problems and perceive it as a discriminatory space. It's like say it louder for people in the back. I mean, right? <laughs> and and they the, to the researcher goes on their aversion to running is fully rational based on perceptions of high costs and low rewards involved in candidacies. It's true. It's like I think about all of the black women who are in Congress and the ways that they get treated and it's mm-hmm. look at Maxine Waters right now who is a goddamn American hero. Seriously. And, the, just the last week to see how the all out like right media has gone to like try to discredit her. And she's the only one, frankly, to me, of the people that I'm seeing in Congress who is taking who is taking a serious stance. Like she's just like she's had it. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I love her. You know, that video of her when she just like goes in front of the camera and she's like, I can't tell you anything about this hearing with the FBI director. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I can't give you details. But she goes, the FBI director has no credibility. <laughs> just like shrugs shuts it down I'm like thank you our elected officials just lie to us all day long they just like pretend that the house is not on fire and like you know and it's like the whole country is we can smell it burning yeah Yeah, it's like (laughs) what are you talking about like your hair is on fire yeah There's obviously like a terrible cocktail of things that affect people who are underrepresented deciding that they aren't going to run. But we're going to talk about people who are running. Very exciting people who are running. (laughs) Um, Okay. Do you think, sorry, do you think Trump has changed any of these points? I could ask that both in terms of like what you've read and friends you've talked to about this. Electing Trump definitely has lit a fire under a lot of people's asses. I think that one thing that I'm hearing a lot from my friends, too, is if he can do it, how hard can it really be? Right. (laughs) You know, it's like there's there's a confidence boost that comes from just having a complete idiot in charge of everything where like fascism is in the land. But also like, what can't I do? Yeah. Like someone with like actually zero life skills is now the president. Right. It's just like such a reminder of like, actually, like you don't ever need to be the smartest person to do a thing that you think is hard what I want this to be instead of every person saying like, I want to run for Congress is really saying I want to participate in the full spectrum of democracy Mm -hmm. and like how that works. I want to see more people running for school board. I want to see more people running for state assembly and for state Senate and whatever, because one of the big problems that liberals have is that we don't stack the deck in these Mm -hmm. little races. And usually like that's also how you get the national recognition to be able to run on this like a larger scale. Totally. Did you read this incredible profile of Alexis Frank recently? Yes. Oh my gosh. In New York Magazine. Yeah. So, so, so good. Wait, who is Alexis Frank? She's running for the fifth, uh, South Carolina's fifth district and she is 26. So obviously a lot of the stories are revolve around how young she is. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like reading this profile and the things that she has to say, (laughs) she sounds more mature than like name any congressman right now that totally. you hear from and just how strategic it is. And I feel, I don't know, it's to me like seeing somebody like her being elected is what will actually, like I will feel like that was a change because mm-hmm. it was born out of this moment of being disappointed after the election, going to the Women's March and just like carrying that energy on as opposed to just like, okay, 
I got my selfie. This was a good moment. And then this is where the road stops for me. Yeah. And she there's a great quote in that article where she says the greatest thing that I've received from this election is the realization that I care about this country way more than I ever thought I did, which I think that a lot of people are going through this period of like, wow, I'm invested in democracy in a real way. Like I've always said America's the best country. I know. But like Mm. this moment is proving you right. It also reminds me of this sort of like congressional wave of women who were elected after the Anita Hill hearings in 1991 when a bunch of women were... The year of the woman, you mean? Okay. <laughs> I can't even with that. I was like... It was, that was, how much? How many was it? It was literally like five women got elected to Congress and they were like the that. year of the woman. But anyway, but these women who watched a black woman essentially torn apart by an all-white, all-male Senate Judiciary Committee were like, um, no, I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah, so, but you would think that that would have started like a revolution right and it like you know it's like on one hand I was excited about it but on the other hand it's like this was not proportional to the like insanity that just happened yeah I think that we're definitely in a special moment and I think that you know as I like to say this is not a time for shy people (laughs) not to say you know like and we're not talking about like introvert or extrovert or whatever like yes like please be yourselves don't come for me if you're an introvert but it's really like If you care about something and you care about democracy and you care about this country, you have to start thinking about more than just yourself and what you're afraid of. Because the other side clearly is not afraid, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and are able to affect a change. Like, it's so intense at just every level, you know, everything. You'll hear of the tiniest race that, like, no Democrat gives a shit about. And... Republicans are like plugged in. Right. They are plugged in because they know how this game works and how it's played. And they're, they're still they're still winning at it. Yeah, PS. it's like, like you can accuse them of a lot of things, but like they're pretty fucking consistent. Yeah. You know? I'm sure everybody who's listening to this, and I know you have like people in your life who you're just like, oh my God, I would vote for you in a hot second. Like, oh what do God. I what do I have to do? Oh, there's not enough offices for the people right. I know. To, and so like, just like planting that seed a little bit. I mean, I have I have I since the election have just have brought it up sometimes more forcefully than others to I would say five or six specific friends who are just like nerdy in all the right ways. Who don't have Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, are you on social media? You should run for office. I know. But for real. Or even like, you know, certain places you can run for like a judgeship. Like I have a lawyer lady. Look, yeah. I'm like, I've got an eye out on her for oh like, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah. Democrats need hella judges. Right I know. Oh and so, so thinking a little bit more expansively about like, what are the options and like, how do they fit with the incredible people in your life? It's true. The other thing too about this whole conversation that makes me realize it is that part of the problem is that, <laughs> you know, like in, in moments of like fascism, we all <laughs> learn the name of even like our state senators. Like I had to call my state senator this morning because I read an article about, uh, awful New York abortion laws that I wasn't aware of. Hmm. I'm like, I am deep into this and I didn't know that New York State had such restrictive late-term abortion laws. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, who can change this? State senators. The New York State Senate is like notoriously conservative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I realized that I was like, I don't know the name of my state senator. Like, this is nuts. (laughs) Yeah, And, you know, but it also made me feel like, oh, yeah, I have something to contribute now. You know, like being an informed citizen in Mm -hmm. this time is really hard work. But like one level that you can be the most effective and the level probably that you can make the most changes is like on your local level. Mm-hmm. It's like what is going on in your state? What is going on on your street? What is going on in your district? 
And I feel like that's where a lot of these opportunities like will will pop up. Yeah. Where it's like I like I can step up and do something here. Yeah. Or like or like kind of training yourself a little bit of like when you read news like, you know, late term abortion restrictions or like skyrocketing cost of housing in L.A. where there was just like a, a totally horrific report about homelessness increases asking questions like, oh, there's like a tenants association or there's this local board meeting or, there, you know, starting there. Mm-hmm. And like, I think like part of this, too, is like attending some of the stuff, being the person at the front of the room or like the official who's doing some of this is not as intimidating. Yeah. You know, also hearing you say that to me <laughs> illustrates like one of the big problems of the way that elections works in this country because they're like too long. We focus too much on the horse race. There's two skill sets that you're talking about. There's the running for office skill set, which like scammers are great at. And mm-hmm. if you're not a natural scammer, like you're going to be like, can I really do this? And then there's the actual like governing part of it, right? Like mm-hmm. the doing your job. And a lot of times you don't get to show that part of yourself unless you can get elected. Right. The gender divide also like that's where that's very apparent. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of studies about like women just applying for jobs, like any jobs in any industries. Women will, like, look at the resume and be like, man, I only fit 20 of these 21 qualifications. I can't be here. Right. And men will be like, I can read this resume. I can be this job. (laughs) I'm the chosen one. Yeah, it's like, oh, like, the letters make sense to me. Just, like, realizing that it is a total package kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If you know that you can do the job, there's an entire infrastructure of people who can help you run. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, like, we went to one of these fundraisers together in Mm -hmm. New York for this woman named Laura Mosier, who we'll talk to later, who is fantastic. But the thing that was really uh, uh, amazing about listening to her talk is realizing that, oh, no, there's a whole team, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a money person, there's a consultant person, there's your TV consultant. Like, you can assemble a team to help you run if you can do the job. Like, you don't have to know. And that's what I loved about um, so many of her answers during the fundraiser, because people were asking really hard, like, what are the total carbon emissions type questions? Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, and she was perfectly honest. She's like, I'm reading up on this. I'm learning about this. Like, here's where I think this is going. Hearing her say that, like, made me feel so much more at ease about myself having to, right. you know, take some of those questions. Is that you, like, there is an entire infrastructure of people who can help you run. You just need to know how to do the job. Go, ladies. Win. Uh, <laughs> okay, wait. So, so like, obviously, lots of other people have been having this conversation with their friends, with the internet, since the election and definitely since the Women's March, organizations like Emily's List have just received thousands of requests. And what is Emily's List? Oh, it's an acronym. It stands for Early Money is Like Yeast. Uh, only my favorite ladies know that. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I love to start with the acronym. <laughs> like, you got to know what it stands for. It's an organization that raises money for pro-choice women candidates. Founded as a corrective to the fact that women were good candidates. They were like, hey, I'm like here and I'm ready to run. And the party establishment would not kick money to their races and they would just lose. And so back in the day of like mail in your donation, Emily's List collected a bunch of money, largely from women, to support and funnel to women candidates. For Historically, it's not an organization that has focused on training women to run for office. It's done more to identify them and send them money after they've declared that they're interested in running. Like, you know, it's not that they're like turning away women who want to run, but like primarily it's about funneling money. And lately, especially after the election, I think because they were being quoted and like talked to a lot in the media, 
women who went to their website were clicking on this thing that was like, are you interested in running yourself someday? And so we called Stephanie Shriok, who's president of Emily's List, to talk about what they're doing with all of these thousands of women who are eager to run. Stephanie, thanks so much for being with us today. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me on. I have seen a lot of eye-popping numbers circulating about how many women have indicated to you at Emily's List that they're interested in running for office someday. And maybe you can tell me what the count stands at now. And then, you know, who are these women? Where are they coming from? How has this happened? (laughs) Uh, You know, it is extraordinary. You're absolutely right. I mean, since Election Day, we've had well over 10,000 women contact us about running for office uh, and getting started. They represent all 50 states uh, across the country, which is extraordinary. I was in Boston on Friday meeting with a few of our uh, potential candidates for the cycle. And I looked up at our just our morning update. And that day, I believe it was 54 that signed up again overnight uh, who wanted to run for office. This is happening daily. Uh, Women are stepping up. They are of all ages, all backgrounds, particularly young women, particularly women of color. uh, And it is just a really fantastic moment here for women in politics. Now, Emily's list job is to make sure that we actually get them to run for office and then ultimately win and serve the public. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know that we thought a lot and talked a lot about women running for office in 2016 for obvious reasons. It was like kind of a conversation couched around Hillary in many ways. But so are these women like, do you think the interest was there before and they're just showing up now or, you know, I mean, I don't know what's, what's different. What's changed? Well, I, you, you said something really important there is we did talk about uh, more women stepping up and running while Hillary Clinton was running for president. All of last election cycle, we had, you know, something like 940 women who had contacted us. And by the way, that was a good number. (laughs) (laughs) Just to put it in perspective, we were feeling pretty good about that number in 2016. What happened in the conversations I've had with a number of women across the country, and I think happened to so many of us, is that we we woke up the day after the election and just stunned, um, not just that Hillary Clinton uh, had lost, but also seeing somebody who was clearly the most qualified, uh, ready for the job person we had ever seen run for president, and she lost to a man who was absolutely not qualified to be president and had proven over and over uh, that he was willing to use racist, sexist language, uh, a lot of misogyny. And it was a real wake-up call to women across this country to say, I can't just let this stand. I need to take action. And one of those actions women are taking is saying, I'm going to run for office. Maybe it's my city council, my county commission, my state legislature, all the way up. But I've got to change these dynamics and I've got to do it by running. I love that. And so tell me more about what you're doing with these 10,000 women to like essentially get them in the pipeline and make sure that they're running. Because maybe I was mistaken, but my impression was always that Emily's List was Um, in the past, there for women who had already declared an intent, were already running, had already identified a race, and you guys were there to swoop in with support. And this feels a little different to me, actually. Well, I I will say, I only wish that that was our job before. You know, for three decades (laughs) now, actually, we have been 
on the ground recruiting women to run. Most of our years have been spent asking who are the women who should be running, who should we be talking to, knocking on people's doors, sitting at kitchen tables, and encouraging women to run for office. If only they came walking in our door saying they were running, we would have so many more women in office. That is the biggest sea change here. It's not so much of what Emily's List does, it's that the women are stepping up and saying, I want to run. I mean, so much so, I think back, and I know this is sort of a major recruitment uh, of Emily's List. But I remember sitting with Elizabeth Warren in the summer before she announced, trying to convince her that she should run for office, that that should be the next step. And she was pondering it, but by no means was she a yes that day. She wasn't even a yes after I left. I took took one more call and she jumped in. And so I say this, that this is a really big moment, not just for Emily's List, but I really believe for women in politics in this country. Now, Emily's List has three decades now of working directly with women, uh, encouraging them to run, but then the next steps are teaching the basics of what you need to do. We've trained thousands of women over uh, those years. We're excited to really uh, jump in and train uh, a lot more women this year, but also help uh, a lot of these women find the race to run in. And then, you know, start putting together that campaign, start putting those pieces together. Running for office is not necessarily complicated. It's like putting together a puzzle. You've got all these pieces and you just got to put them together so they fit. And that's a lot of what Emily's List does. We help put together uh, that puzzle. And sometimes we find a few pieces for them along the way. Yeah. So, so maybe talk about that a little bit more. Like what are, what are all of the little pieces or maybe big pieces that need to fit together in order for a woman to get to the point where she's on the ballot, say? Well, a lot of what we do uh, oftentimes is, you know, have conversations specifically with, uh, with women who are thinking about running, you know, starting the conversation of, you know, why, why do you want to run? Why do you want to step up? And what are you most interested in helping women think through, should I run for local office? Should I run for school board? Should I run for county commissioner? Maybe you could run for legislature. You know, of these over 10,000 women that have already contacted us, hundreds of them happen to be living in the congressional districts that Emily's List is targeting for recruitment in twenty or 2018, excuse me. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> just because you've never run before doesn't mean you shouldn't run for the United States House of Representatives. That's what we're here for, to help figure out the right place um, for a person to run, for a woman to run. Yeah. And God, I'm still, in a way, there's a little part of my brain that's still stuck on this detail about like, even Elizabeth Warren needing convincing to run, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to a woman who's listening to this and is maybe reluctant as well, or maybe has considers herself someone who is politically engaged and knowledgeable about a lot of important issues, but is is still reluctant or who hasn't made that leap. Um, what is that pitch that you've been giving at kitchen tables historically? And and what do you say to help women overcome some of that reluctance that they might feel? Well, we often start with, look who's serving now. Look at the folks who are serving in the legislature in your state or in our Congress. So often, 
the voice of the woman who's sitting across the table from us is not represented. Or if it is, it's not represented at the number as it should be. I mean, we are really about a representative democracy. And if we don't have the 20-something uh, college graduate young woman uh, who hasn't started her family yet but who has a huge student loan not sitting somewhere in a legislature, then who can really speak to what it's like to balance getting started in your life, starting a family and carrying a big student loan. Or if we don't have the mother of young children who just uh, is trying to figure out how to balance her family and can't figure out childcare, if that person isn't sitting in our legislature, who's carrying that torch for those all those thousands and thousands of women in the same predicament? We need their voices, and everybody who's listening to this to this podcast, we need your voice. And maybe it's in the city council or school board. Maybe it's in your legislature. Maybe it's in Washington D.C. But if we've got a if we've got a Congress that's only nineteen percent women, we are missing a huge number of perspectives of women's lives in this country. And you just take that on through state legislatures and city councils, and it's the same. Oh, I know. And I'm well. I'm I'm hope I'm just picturing this alternate, like future universe that we're hopefully going to live in, in which all of these ten thousand women follow through and get on the ballot and run. You know, at some point when when they're able. <laughs> no, I I I completely agree. In fact, when when Emily's list hosted our first big training this year, the day after the Women's March in Washington, D.C., which just that day was such an extraordinary moment. And then I sat uh, and watched my staff lead this training of just, you know, folks who are just, again, just starting to think about running, maybe not sure what to do. And I thought to myself, God, there's probably a future United States senator in this room. This could be right now. We could be literally planting the seed for a future senator, a future governor, who knows, a future president. That's a lot of what we talk about when we start our trainings is just the initial things to start thinking about uh, if you're planning on running for office, even if it's down the road. Like maybe you're not planning on running in 2017 or 18, but maybe you think you can do it five years down the road. You know, there's just some some things that make it easier uh, for future candidates. You know, things like keeping track of your contacts, making sure you've got good contact information, emails and phone numbers and addresses for your friends, your family and colleagues, making sure that list, as we call it, the holiday card list is in order. That's the beginning of any campaign for anybody. And anybody can do that today. That's so true. And I also think that like, there's a lot of data on how women are networked horizontally, you know, like women are really good at like making connections with peers. It's really interesting to think about that as like politically powerful, you know, not just like socially fun or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's value. Right. And we don't we don't think about it because we we socialize, we think about you know, our friends in sort of one way. But if you sort of step back and go, wow, I've got some really talented friends. Like we may like to just go and have dinner and and talk about family. But then when I think about it, I was like, I've got a friend who is really good at technology and web design who could help out with a, to help out set, totally. set up a web page for me, right? You just, all of a sudden you start realizing the talent that is in your own network. And that's really the beginning of, of any campaign. 
I know that um, you haven't only been collecting email addresses and contact info from women who are interested in running themselves, but I understand that you've also been collecting a huge increase in the number of women who are interested in supporting women who are running for office in more direct and concrete ways. And maybe you can talk about that a little too. I would love that. One of the things that uh, we said from the very beginning here to the women who are stepping up uh, in the marches or calling their members of Congress and doing a phenomenal job, by the way, uh, or just taking action in their communities is ultimately we have two choices. We either need to run for office or we need to help a woman run for office. <laughs> and so we wanted to really uh, build a community of those who want to help women run for office in this country. And that list includes women and men who see that it is important to have women's voices in our government at a much larger level. And what we're uh, we're going to do is through a series of probably more digital platform uh, education is teach some basic things for activists and volunteers around campaigns. How can you be most helpful uh, to a woman who's running for office? You know, and sometimes it's just showing up and saying, what can I do? You know, other times is maybe bringing a group of friends together and raising a little bit of money for that candidate. You know, often when you're just starting out, helping someone go door knocking in your neighborhood and in introducing a candidate who's running door-to-door uh, -door because you still do door-to-doors when you're running for city council and county commissioner. A lot of state legislative seats in this country are small enough that you're still going to go door-to-door and introduce yourself as a candidate. Well, it's sure easier if there's someone from that neighborhood with you. And those are the connections we want to start making with the candidates and those who want to help those candidates win. Yes. So for someone who is listening and is like, I'm that woman, I want to support that woman, um, where should they go? What should they do? Well, please go to emilyslist.org today. Uh, go to our Run to Win sign up. And if you're uh, a woman out there who is thinking about running, I would like to run, even if it's down the road and not today, please sign up as a potential candidate for Emily's List and, and frankly for this country because we need your voice. And if you're women and good men who stand with us who want to help, you can also sign up right there at our Run to Win site at emilyslist.org. And we're going to help start connecting all of these folks together. This is how we build a movement and this is how we're going to change our government. Oh, yes. Stephanie, thank you so much for all your hard work and thanks for chatting on the podcast today. Anytime. Thank you. And thank you to all your listeners uh, for all that they've been doing uh, to help really the resistance here. There's so much energy right now, and I'm hearing it from everywhere I go. You know, future candidates, activists, folks who are just holding their senators and legislators and everybody accountable. Keep doing it. We'll get there. Oh, yes. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Take care. That was great, Anne. True story. The first time I heard Kirsten Gillibrand speak was at an Emily's List event. Mm -hmm. And Val Demings was there also, who is this really badass woman who is a cop and just really, really cool. And she was running for office as well. And I remember she lost her race. Mm -hmm. But um, good news. She just got elected into Congress. She's last time back. Around. She's yeah. back. But I just like I think about that a lot because yeah. I remember hearing her speak at that breakfast and just being like, "Oh my God, you're so great!" 
And then like she lost that election and I was really bummed out. And in the like nightmare election that we had recently, it was good to like see her fight. You know, I was like, you didn't give up. You came back. And you had the, like, full backing of Emily's list. You were able to get elected. Totally. And also, I think about Donna Edwards, who had been elected to Congress, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. And was running for Senate when we had her on the podcast, who ended up losing that race. But I'm like, can't wait for the comeback. Like, it's going to happen. Ernie? Yeah, it's a journey also because, like, this is not a career. (laughs) That's the other... That's honestly, like, that's one of the things that drives me crazy about the state that Congress is in. It's like, well, you know what? Like... If you want a job with good benefits and, like, job security, you should go work at a law firm. Like, don't run for office. It is, you serve at the pleasure of people and, like, shit changes. <laughs> so I know. God willing, fine. shit changes, Ugh, right? Can't wait. So the other person we talked to for this episode is this woman, Amanda Littman, who worked on Hillary's digital team and in her post-election kind of like depression, decided that she wanted to put all of her knowledge of how campaigns are run and all of her skills and connections to use. So she and a few other former colleagues founded an organization called Run for Something. Uh, Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for being here. No, thanks for having me. And I'm really excited. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about how Run for Something started and what your inspiration was. So Run for Something is a brand new PAC launched on January 20th, committed to helping young people run for down ballot office. It got started because I was angry. (laughs) Um, So I worked for Hillary Clinton for two years as her email director, um, managing online fundraising and volunteer recruitment and mobilization. And at the end of the election, after taking a couple weeks to drink and sleep and pet my dog and clean my apartment, we started talking about all the different problems that we saw with the party, with the system, with the fact that our bench was so weak and our pipeline was so old and male and white, and that it was really hard if you didn't already know how to work the system of politics, how to get in the door. Like if I had these friends from high school and college who are now finally engaged in elections and would ask me, who do I ask for help? And I didn't have a good answer for them, which pissed me off because that's a that's a failure of our system to allow new people in the door. So I found a co-founder in this husband of a friend of mine, Ross Morales Riquetto, who is the kind of guy that managed school board races for fun um, in his spare time. Whoa. And he decided, <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's serious about it. He's amazing. 
And between the two of us, we realized we can do this. We know the internet, we know politics, we know the right people, and we are willing to work hard. And when you're unemployed and angry, it's amazing what you can devote your time to instead of yelling at the TV. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And maybe you could talk about that for one second. And why did you find yourself unemployed at this particular moment? (laughs) Well, you know, after working for Hillary, you... We didn't have plans. We didn't know what was going to come next. You know, I didn't know what we I would have done if we had won. But when we lost, the future was completely unclear. You know, a lot of folks had been thinking about like, oh, I'll be moving to D.C. or I'll be going to the administration or the party. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew that once we lost, I, I couldn't get out of the fight. It's not a choice. It, it wasn't even an option to do something other than politics right. and other than this. Right. What is the starting point? Or like if you're sort of, if you're the person who said maybe someday about running for office and you're starting to think that someday is sooner than maybe you thought originally, <laughs> where where do you even begin to think about starting to plug in? And like, how do you try to connect your experiences with the different types of roles or, or positions you could run for? So a few things to think about. One, do not wait for someone to ask you. Keep in mind that mediocre white men never ask themselves if they're qualified. They just do it. They assume they're entitled to it. And you should act with the same amount of confidence. You have to step up. Start by asking yourself what problem you want to solve and then ask what office gives you the platform to solve it. So if you care about education funding, consider school board. If you care about housing laws and zoning and liquor licenses and that kind of thing, city council. If you care about reproductive rights and or voting rights or want to fix gerrymandering, State House or State Senate is a great place to start. These are races that are not that expensive. You know, 75% of school board races across the country cost $1,000 or less. Your win number for or the number of voters that you need to actually talk to in order to win can be as small as 500 or as big as a couple thousand or more. But in a lot of places, it's really, really manageable, especially if you're willing to do the work. And the work is talking to people. The mechanics of a campaign are not hard. So if it's what you decide to do, picking a race that is local, that is cheap relatively, that has a manageable number of voters to talk to, and that most of the people running for those races are first-time candidates or people who are not long-time elected officials. Those those dollar amounts are pretty surprising to me. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I think about... I don't know, when I think about reasons I'm not excited about the idea of running for office, just to use myself as an example, part of it has to do with the idea of maybe exposing myself or my family or people who I love to this this sort of level of public scrutiny, which we all know is slightly different for women and people of color totally. um, than it is for your typical man. And I don't know if you have thoughts about that um, and how that tends to play out in lower level races or whether that's a valid concern. It's a valid concern to a certain extent in that. And when you become an elected official, um, you are then accountable to the people who employ you, which are the voters and your neighbors and citizens. Um, I'm doing a lot of interviews with elected officials right now. And one of my favorite things to ask them is, how do you handle dating and being an elected official? Um, And they will tell me stories of how they sit in restaurants with their dates and people come over to yell at them about the trash pickup in their neighborhood. Um, (laughs) which is, you know, it's fair. It means that your work matters. But I think that for local races, particularly, you're running against neighbors. You're running against people you know. It doesn't get as nasty or as negative as a congressional race. It's just, it's too small and too personal. Right. So don't, basically don't look at what happens to congresswomen you love or like what happened to Hillary (laughs) and assume that that's what your school board race is going to be like. (laughs) Because it's just not, it's, it's, 
the, the scale is not big enough for people to get that angry or to care that much. Right. Which is a, a good thing and a bad thing. Right. What is the first point of contact? I mean, like you, you had some really good food for thought about what types of positions people could maybe start to get interested in. But is your first call to like the the party or can you just like go to the courthouse and sign yourself up? Like, what do you what do you actually do? <laughs> what do you actually do? So there's a couple of things. One, you should call your local party because uh, they might have resources available to you. Some places are better than others. And I'll admit, I hear from a lot of folks who tell me I call the local party and they didn't return my call, which I, I share your frustration. That sucks. The best thing you can do is call your city or county clerk. The terminology varies from place to place. So it might be your board of elections or administrator of elections or election supervisor, but they will have all the information you need to file. In a lot of places, it is either signatures you need on a petition or it's a filing fee. Sometimes it's both, sometimes it's neither. Some places don't have this all online, which is a problem. But if you call them, they often have a guide for candidates that walks you through step-by-step open your bank account, get this tax ID number, you can fundraise X days after you file, that kind of thing. And then in general, in terms of the timeline, I mean, I know that your organization focuses on young people specifically. I'm an old millennial. I'm technically a millennial. (laughs) But um, I do think that like for me and for a lot of women I've spoken to in my own life who I think would be incredible um, in government, Uh, There's this sense of like, well, maybe later, well, maybe later. And, um, you know, like we're young and maybe when I'm like old and serious, this will be a thing that I do. And so is there something you tell people about why it's important to get involved now or the case for getting involved right away before you feel like you have it all figured out? It's never going to be a right time. It's like, when is the right time to get a dog? It's never the right time. It's when you decide (laughs) to do it, you're then ready, which I think is hard to admit to yourself. Most people don't win their first time out. So if you decide to do it, understand that what you're really deciding is to do it twice. The first time to get the experience and to build the team and the second time maybe to win. Uh, And then it takes a couple of years to often build up the network you need and that's okay. You get a lot out of the act of running. You learn public speaking. You will talk to incredibly interesting people. You will have a platform with which to advocate for what you care about. Like if you're a candidate for office, when you want to talk to a reporter, I mean, you know this, people, you often have to listen to them or at least pretend to listen. Um, it gives them like a, <laughs> yeah. a place to, to start from. And you then can, can really push for what you care about in a more active way than just tweeting or Facebook posting or protesting. All oh, that's really good. But when you're running for office I mean, you have a higher platform from which to do that. Yeah. And so maybe talk a little bit more about like what Run for Something's actually doing with all of these interested people who are getting in touch with you. So we have had nearly 8,000 people sign up in two months who say they want to run for office, which is bananas. We thought we'd have to hustle to find 100 people based on the experience we'd had previously. What we're offering folks is a couple of things. One, we're putting together experienced guides for how to file in every state, which means we'll, we'll tell you who to email at the party to get access to the voter file and in what order to do things, which is really helpful. Two, we have a network of about 125 campaign experts who are offering up free consulting time, ranging from senior staff on a presidential campaign to field organizers, to people who've been in this business for 30 or 40 years, who said, I'll set aside a couple hours of my time to help people for free, which is invaluable. The final thing we're doing is giving people money. So if you get on the ballot and you're able to stand up your campaign, we'll get you from step two to step three. Oh, wow. That's so cool. 
realistically, um, what percentage of those 8,000 people do you think are really serious, are going to like follow through and like try to get on the ballot? Tell me a little bit more about what's already moving forward. So, you know, it takes time, obviously, and all those 8,000 aren't going to run immediately. We've got about 30 who are already on the ballot for this fall or this spring. You know, there's not that many races this November, and there's going to be a whole bunch more in 2018. But what we're doing has already made, like, it makes me so sappy, and I'm not sappy at all. But for example, we have this young woman running for school board in Pennsylvania, and she sent me an email that said, I'm running, I'm doing canvassing, I, I want to know, is there anyone I can talk to for some advice? I said, yes, here is a statewide field organizer from a 2016 presidential campaign. Talk to him. She got on the phone with him and then emailed me the next day, Amanda, I talked to him. Uh, he gave me GOTV scripts. I understand now like how I need to change my strategy in the final week. I feel so much more confident going door to door. I'm so excited. Like that's the entire point. That's so lovely. That's like, she's 21 years old. She's running for school board in a Republican district and she got advice from someone and feels better knocking on voters doors. That's awesome. That's the kind of thing that we're able to help facilitate. I love that. And are you doing anything with, um, you know, say people like me who are maybe not planning to run in the next few cycles, but would love to help the kinds of candidates that you're recruiting or would love to like pitch in on a campaign? Yeah. So uh, over the next couple of months, we'll be rolling out lists of candidates who we're giving funding to because those are folks who've proven themselves just a little bit viable. We're not discriminating in who we're giving money to. If you are able to run, you go through our pipeline and you stand up a campaign and raise a little bit of money, we'll match it, which means that we're getting involved in primaries and we're getting involved in races that people haven't tend to get involved before. So if you sign up on our website, runforsomething.net, we will keep you updated on the races, let you know when there's one in your area that you can volunteer on, let you know when there's a candidate who might be relevant to you that you can give money to. We'll keep you entirely in the loop. Okay, so what is one more thing that you want people to know about running for office? Well, one of the things that I hear a lot from potential candidates is who will help me if I do this? And the answer is your friends and family. So even if you're not thinking about running, think about who in your circle should run and ask them. Don't make it a joke. Make it serious. Tell them why they should run and why you'll support them and why you'll volunteer for them, why you'll give them five or 10 or 50 or $100 and mean it because it matters to know that they have that you have their back. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And finally, um, other resources. Where else are you directing people to learn more about this? So you should go to runforsomething.net, take a look, sign up. There'll also be a book coming out this fall titled by the same thing, Run for Something, that I'm really excited about that'll walk you through how to run for office and why you should do it and what to do if you want to get involved in local politics. Amanda Lippman, thank you so much for being with us. No, thank you so much for having me. That was really great. Also, if you do a recent Google, Amanda's organization is one of the ones that Hillary Clinton is going to be throwing money at in her new hack building endeavors. Amazing. So this is exciting. Full circle. Are you going to run for office, Anne? Oh, my God, no. Are you kidding me? Like, Oh, my God. How? Like, why? What are your excuses? 
I've been writing for the internet for more than 10 years. Like, do you know how many things could be like quoted out of context in a campaign ad? I mean, also, okay, I'm not asking you to run for president. You could like run for school board. I know. I mean, here's, here's the thing. Like, truthfully, I'm like, I, I just don't want to. <laughs> Like, like <laughs> honestly, I don't know. It's a weird thing where like I like, well, no, when I look at like the scope of like what I do with my, my work time and my like, you know, what I could get PTO for social justice and civic engagement time. I don't know, like serving in an official capacity isn't something that I've ever wanted to do. Um, which is not to say never, but like not right now, which is to be honest, I know the thing that like a majority of women say when you ask them about running for office. So yeah, we'll we'll discuss this on our running for office episode because I'm very curious about this. Okay, wait. This is the this is the number one excuse that like women give. You have to answer this question now too. Um. Yeah. Hell yeah. When? <laughs> I just like um as soon as I uh, legally can, I will. Okay. All right. I'm like super. Oh, it's on my it's on my roadmap. Hello. Okay. Great. It's like I watch all of these like yahoos in state assemblies, like just big dummies all the time. And it's like if they can do it, one, how hard can it fucking be? And two, this is honestly like a very nice side effect of the Trump presidency for me is that if anything, it has like boosted my confidence in a lot of things. I Yeah. And to be clear, I mean, you're, you're going to be incredible. I'm like, if this guy can be president, it's like, how hard can it be? Like, literally. I don't want to be president for many reasons. Also, I cannot be president. But there are like a lot of local offices that I'm thinking about. And I'm always interested when I talk to other women about this. You are a civically engaged person. You're like smart. You are, you could do this. There's so many barriers there. But yes, we'll explore all of those very soon. Okay. And I just want to say, it's not because I don't think I'm smart enough for it. I just want to be perfectly clear. Are you this, kidding me? Yes. If anything, you are too smart. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. I just want to, like, address the, like, the point of, like, I mean, I totally agree with you that, like, watching these yahoos try to govern is, like, a hugely motivating factor. Basically, no woman now can ever say, like, I am, I don't think I could, like, Yeah, I don't think it. I can do it. <laughs> but it's also, I don't know, I think that it's also, like, there are the offices that, like, the obvious offices that everybody always thinks about. It's, like, president, senator, congressman. And it's like, you know, actually, there are more things. There are like, there's a ton of stuff to run for. And there's a ton of stuff that's important. And so, you know, I'm like, make Comptroller sexy again. Like, make, make Assembly sexy again. And so we'll see. Yeah. So anyway, we'll link in the show notes to a bunch of resources. The Emily's List program for this. Run for something. Higher Heights, which aims to get more Black women elected to office. Wellstone, which does training. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. Like there, there are experts who are like lined up and ready to help. They want to meet you. You're the talent. That's be true. the talent. You're the talent. Just be the talent. <laughs> be around. We're going to need everybody's help, though, to stay on top of all of these new candidates because there's only two of us and they're only 24 hours in the day to like read the news. So if you know of an awesome person who identifies as a woman who you think should run or who is actually running or a candidate that just cares deeply about issues that affect women, use the hashtag CYG runs and let us know about them. And we are especially interested in candidates who are below the congressional level. So people who are running at the state and local level, if you are backing a candidate who's near you, please tell us about them. 
And if you need our help to convince somebody that you know to run, like, let us know. Oh, my God. We will bring in the big guns. We will email them. I know. We'll email them. Voicemails. Don't you worry. It's going to be perfect. Can't wait for So Friedman 2050 or whatever it is. (laughs) Dead on arrival. (laughs) (laughs) We've done all the opposition work Yeah, it's like the opposition research will just be like, here's Amina in her, like, Texas Jays. The public will be shocked and appalled. We'll be the first candidates to narrate our own attack ads. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Don't vote for me because... Uh, okay, and so in a few weeks, we'll have another special episode where we talk to several of these incredible candidates about why they decided to run. In the meantime, ask someone. Ask yourself. <laughs> mm. <laughs> see, you, uh, see you in the hotel room, boo See you on the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> see you on the ballot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck.